Going Linux, episode 306, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinux at gmail.com or you can send us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. Today's episode is listener feedback. Hi, Bill. Hello, Larry. How are you? Good, good. What's going on in your world? Uh, not much. <laughs> not much at all. Um, just another beautiful day in Southern California. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. And the weather has been absolutely wonderful the past few days with the uh, temperatures a little bit low on the cool side. Seems like springtime or fall or something like that. And today it's going to go back up again. Oh, great. Really, you just, okay. oh, over you just, high 90s. You just ruined it. Okay, great. No, no, yes. no. You were the one who last podcast or the one before was saying that uh, the these 100 degree temperatures don't seem hot to you. Has that changed? No, no. But I really like the 80s uh, with the no humidity even better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> it is. I mean, it's like 80 degrees and we've got all the windows open and it's it's beautiful, you know. But anyway, enough about weather. <laughs> this is not yes. uh, going weather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I found um, a new surprising and happy uh, news about goodoldgaming.com. They now mm-hmm. are supporting Linux. Oh, they weren't really uh, supporting before? No, you'd have to run it under Wine or whatever, but now apparently they have uh, 50-plus games, not anywhere close to Steam, but that's a start. Uh, so yeah. they might you might be able to find, find some of your oldies but goodies um, there, because uh, they have nice. a lot of the older games. So I was going through their catalog, and uh, so if you, if you want to look for some of your older games or just some uh one alternative to um steam go to uh, com. uh good old gaming okay yeah. sounds great i know we've got some feedback on that in our feedback this time around uh-oh yep <laughs> <laughs> no nothing negative <laughs> uh-oh yeah all right okay well shall we get into our feedback well if you insist <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well then, let's get started. Our first email is from Galen, who provides some feedback on episode 303. Greetings, Larry. I've just been listening to episode 303. Whilst I appreciate your enthusiasm for Linux, or should that be GNU slash Linux, from my own experience, it's not easy to get a computer up and running for novice computer users. I did manage to get both of my sisters to run GNU Linux, one of which bought an HP laptop that came with Ubuntu already installed. But after upgrading to the next long-term support version, certain features stopped working. I can't remember which feature was the problem, but it could have been Bluetooth. 
The other sister started with an old Packard Bell desktop, which originally ran Vista. But sadly, there were certain apps which she couldn't live without, so ended up installing Windows 10. Boo-hoo. So both my sisters wanted the system to just work without any learning curve. I'm surprised that a Packard Bell designed for Vista would run Windows 10. Anyway, continuing on. From my own experience, an Ubuntu Mate upgrade to my ThinkPads stopped my printer from working, an Epson printer. I was able to find a workaround, but only after buying an HP printer, as I could not get by without a printer. Print driver dependency problem with Epson website not being very helpful. However, after raising a bug report, a fix was suggested. So one has to do one's homework. And over here in the UK, System76 is not an option. But we do have Entroware, but they are not cheap. However, we are the home of the Raspberry Pi. With this geek having 24 pies, my very own Bramble, you could say. Regards, Galen. <laughs> well, thanks, Galen. And yeah, the Epson printer issues... You want to talk about those, Bill? Uh, don't buy Epson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now, uh, I just uh, bought a new HP printer. HP yeah. printers seem to be the way to go. Yep. Well, I still have Windows 10 on one of my drives uh, for testing and playing certain games that I can't get to run on Linux. But mm-hmm. let me give you just a quick story. I took me forever to get it to work properly. It's still not 100%. It has some This weird... is on Windows 10? Or yeah, is this, is on, this is Windows 10. Okay. And so it was a massive headache to get it to work. I, I went step by step. I even followed the directions and I actually read the directions. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Telling you yep. now. So uh, it was a major pain in the butt and it still has got errors and I've updated the software. Well, I figured that I was just going to have major problems on Linux, so I booted into my Linux on my other disk, and three clicks later, it was running. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I haven't had any luck with Epson, but I've had great luck with HP. But it's it's funny that he should say that uh, printers, you just got to stay with HP because they just seem to work. But it's so much easier to get printer work under Linux most of the time <laughs> is on Windows because you have to load all the drivers and all that other garbage and this is a new HP printer with the scan feature the the fax and I don't use the fax but I use the scan feature and um, I also uh, you know it, it prints perfectly so uh, I don't know what to well, say is they stay away from Epson because there's some of these printers uh, companies that just refuse to support Linux, and but HP is probably one of the biggest ones, so I just use them. Now he said he had problems running Linux; it's hard to install on new on user. And um, I uh, installed Linux, uh, Ubuntu Linux in the, the vanilla, and mm-hmm. uh, it took. I think I put my name in, my password, and three buttons. And it installed hands-free. Now, I don't know if he's picking customized, but I let it just pick what it wants. Right. And, uh, That's the way I installed it. it. It's it's quicker in my in my 
uh, experience than installing Windows 7, Windows 10. Uh, it just seemed, and every time I've I've done an in-place upgrade, and I've done, uh, let's see, at least three on this current system, nothing has uh, stopped working. So it's just kind of bizarre. Yeah. You know, I Galen had said that he installed it. He said it was difficult to get up and running. I'm not sure he was saying it was difficult oh, okay. to install, but um he said it was it seemed to be working fine until upgrading to the next LTS, which I'm assuming is 16.04. And I know that there were not problems with Bluetooth, but problems with Wi-Fi. Ah. Uh, on 16.04, which have yet to be fixed, uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, Wi-Fi connection using the network manager utility mm -hmm. tends to drop out occasionally, inexplicably and <laughs> unreasonably. <laughs> uh, and that that's certainly a known problem with 16.04. And I'm sure they'll get that fixed in the next release, but it's really tough to... Except the fact that 16.04 is meant to be a long-term support release and they really still haven't fixed it in that release. You would think that they would, you know, backport a fix to network manager yeah. if that indeed is where the problem is. And maybe they will, uh, but it hasn't been fixed as far as I know yet. Now, early on when I first installed Ubuntu Mate 16.04, mm -hmm. uh, I, I definitely had that problem. Oh, okay. I noticed that Although it still happens, it doesn't happen as frequently now, so perhaps they're making some incremental changes to it, uh, and that may be the issue there. Um, and I, I made a comment on our Google Plus community the other day about the fact that when people purchase a an Apple computer, for example, they buy into the original Apple promise that everything just works, and when things don't work, they make the immediate assumption that they have done something wrong mm -hmm. because it's supposed to just work, uh, even if it is an Apple issue, <laughs> you know, yeah. that they did something wrong. One makes the assumption that one has done something wrong themselves. Uh, and with Linux, nobody makes the promise that everything just works. Yeah. And when it does just work, you think, aha, great, wonderful Linux. But when it doesn't just work, you think, oh, okay, well, this is open source and things are changing rapidly and improving all the time. Things will break, but they will get fixed quickly. So there's the difference in the attitude uh, between open source and proprietary software, whether that's Windows or OS X. Well, uh, another uh, thing I would suggest um, to Galen is use the uh, Larry Bushy rule of upgrades. If you're going to do an in-place upgrade and, uh, and, and a lo another long-term upgrade comes out, always wait a couple months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to let them get the patches because there's always going to be a bug or something. And, and I thought that was kind of uh, weird when you said, I don't, you don't immediately upgrade. You usually wait at least a month just to let yeah. them get the end. Uh, since I've been doing that, I it has worked out really well. But you also suggest... If you can to back up everything and then reinstall. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I have done routinely for years and years and years. Um, Old school. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, when I switched from Ubuntu to Linux Mint, Linux Mint suggested uh, no in-place upgrades, always reinstall fresh. So that's what I was doing. Prior to that on Ubuntu, I would do the upgrades and they worked most of the time. And now that I'm back on Ubuntu again, last time I did an in-place upgrade just to see how it would go, but I went back and reinstalled from scratch. <laughs> Just to be sure that I got the the experience that someone would have uh, installing from scratch. Because, you know, when, when you do an in-place upgrade, it makes some assumptions about what you want to keep and what you don't want to keep. And, you know, if there's something that's deprecated, which for new users means it's obsolete and not supported anymore, um, sometimes that will break. Sometimes it continues to work when you do an in-place upgrade, but uh, if it's no longer supported at all, when you do a fresh upgrade or a fresh install rather than an upgrade, uh, you don't even get it because it's not there anymore. Well, I think um, Tom, the the old co-host, had the record for most in-place in upgrades. It was like 12. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, because he we went from the old uh, GNOME uh desktop to unity and i mean he was like really and you remember you asked him and said i'm starting to have problems I said well have you oh i did how many upgrades do you need like from 605 or something and it's like yeah. it's still working yes uh so well and they try to make it work and generally speaking it does yeah. so kudos to ubuntu on that one but back on back on the printers <laughs> yeah. for a second yeah printers yeah it's a hit. It's a hit and miss if you don't use HP. I think. Right, HP is pretty supportive of Linux. In fact, they contribute to, you know, they contribute code to Linux mm -hmm. and are really big supporters to Linux. Epson, on the other hand, uh, I found I've had a few Epson printers in the past, and it's a bit hit and miss as to whether or not they work. Number one and number two, whether they're supported, and in about half. The cases, and I'm talking about maybe a handful of Epson printers that I've installed for people. Um, about in about half the cases, I've had to go to the Epson website, hunt down the driver on their website, and it's it's not easy to do. I'm not sure what Epson is playing at, but oh well. yeah, it, they, it's kind of hit and miss. So, Galen, <laughs> the best we can tell you is stay away from Epson if you can. And try to use HP. <laughs> yeah. And he mentions Entroware versus System76. I understand that. And he mentions that Entroware isn't cheap. Well, neither System76. <laughs> no. But uh, consider the fact that neither is, uh, you know, Microsoft-branded uh, computers and computers with Microsoft uh, Windows on them, at least the same kinds of specs that you might get with a System76 or an Entroware, whether it's Windows or, or OS X, the good computers aren't cheap either. No. You can get a cheap computer, uh, and that's what you get, but I've noticed that, well, with System76, it's pretty pretty good components. Yeah. But they they select which components they want in the models that they sell, and... Because of that, they select the components that are most compatible with Linux. And because of that, they're going to work. Yeah. Well, you're still rocking a System76, aren't you? You betcha. 
You betcha. A Galago Ultra Pro. Oh, yeah, that's a Galago Ultra Pro. Yeah. Good good machine. All right, now that we've heard about your Galago Ultra Pro, let's move on to the next one. All right, let's go. <laughs> Our next email comes from John. He asks about VirtualBox and Ubuntu, and he writes, Hello, Larry. Haven't had to ask for help for years, but now... When I installed the current version of VirtualBox 5.1.2, something happened to my Ubuntu 16.04. I lost all my desktop icons and everything. I can't start anything with no desktop. How do I get it back? I've gone through asked Ubuntu's forms. Nothing's there. The Linux questions, the same. I'm sure there's a simple terminal command that will do this, but where? thanks larry for all you do and bill do on the show look forward to each week john in dallas um it could be that the desktop uh environment has crashed now did he say he says ubuntu 1604 but he didn't say which version of ubuntu it's possible that Unity has crashed, and uh, you know if if you've lost all of the icons uh, on the dock and you've lost the menu across the top, that's pretty indicative of the fact that that your desktop environment has has crashed and you re- need to restart. Um, and I think Ubuntu Unity has control backspace for restart uh, enabled. If that doesn't work, then you'll have to actually to a, a power down in another um, in another manner now control alt t will open a terminal and you can do sudo space shutdown or sudo space reboot uh, and that will get you um, started again and if your desktop then doesn't come up you've got something else going on in that virtual box and if you've made a backup of the virtual box as you should be doing with any computer uh, then you could start restart from that backup. But other than that, um, it could be a lot of different things. But from the way you describe it, if everything's gone, I'm thinking Unity has crashed on you. Or uh, Mate or whatever the desktop environment is that you're using. You know, uh, Linux is running, apparently, but uh, desktop isn't. So right. <sighs> you might try looking at uh, maybe a help uh, in like Ubuntu forms about how to um, restart the desktop. Sometimes uh, I know it's not a very long command, and you can usually copy and paste it because I usually have the command written out and mm-hmm. and see if that solves the problem. But other than that, I have no clue. Yeah, darn virtual yeah, box. <laughs> yeah, and as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I've switched over from virtual box to the. Uh, vert manager application that uh, comes in ubuntu mate uh, and it's certainly been around for a while it's actually from red hat originally and uh, it uh, it works just fine yeah and i was using VirtualBox for years oh, okay and it's a good way to get off of something supported by oracle which of course <laughs> every, everybody loves to hate oracle <laughs> yeah one of the most successful companies and everybody hates them yeah, it's kind of the way it goes, isn't it? I just want one percent of Oracle's income. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, maybe, uh, maybe you can get adopted by Larry Ellison or something. Hey, Larry Ellison, you want you want a grown son? Just give me the money. You'll never see me. 
That that'll work, Bill. That'll yeah. work. Okay, hey. let's move on. <laughs> What's trashy there? Uh, I think uh, we need to move on. Uh, is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Okay. So John wrote in again. He said zero down vote favorite. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's uh, some sort of error. Uh, he, he provides a link from the Ask Ubuntu forum uh, about errors in opening VirtualBox in Ubuntu. He said, I've never seen this before, but I need ACHA97 for audio or I won't hear anything via my speakers. Mint works just fine and 16.04 worked fine yesterday. Now this, and it would not open due to that error what sort of dma loop am i in how do i fix this thanks for the suggestions and help john and dallas and then he provides some feedback from the forum it looks like failed to open a session for the machine ubuntu 1604 Failed to load ICHAC97, version not supported, blah, 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 blah. And he wraps up saying, hope you have suggestions or help for this issue. John, I don't even understand what the issue is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't either, but uh, when Larry went blah, 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 I actually thought, I was actually reading the, the, the result code. And for all that information, I think it should just say blah, 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 because it doesn't say say anything. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I don't know. And the link to the forum is just his uh, forum post on the Ask Ubuntu forum asking for responses. So I'm not even going to include a link to that in the show notes. Um, he, He didn't receive any response. So... I don't know. This is this is the second time when we've had to say, I don't know, Bill. Are we losing our touch? I don't know, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, John. So now it's Bill fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is, uh, John, if this is the same instance of VirtualBox that you have running with the same installation that was giving you the problems in the last email... Maybe they're related. Maybe yeah. there's an issue with that installation within VirtualBox, or maybe there's a problem with VirtualBox. I'm not sure. Uh, and, you know, it would, might be a little bit clearer if you had um, this as a as a standalone installation outside of a virtual environment. Uh, but as soon as you put something like this in a virtual environment, now you've introduced another variable. Is it the installation of Linux, or is it the virtual uh, environment? So... We don't know. Yeah, sorry. And if if anybody uh, has any suggestions <laughs> based on our vague information and John's vague information, please write in and let us know. But uh, John, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have smart <laughs> listeners. They'll figure it out. Yep. Our next email comes from Joe, who is a new listener. Just found your podcast, and I am binge listening from episode 100. I am now a Linux junkie and put all of the blame on a coworker. He told me that <laughs> his friend's child, who is 15 years old, was wanting to try Linux on his laptop, but my coworker didn't know anything about it. I went on a deep dive into Linux sites on the web and found a how to make a live USB tutorial on instructables.com 
that made it very simple. I now have six flash drives in my pocket with different distros on each one. That is when I decided to type Linux into my Podcatcher app. Your podcast is my favorite I have found, mainly because you don't talk down to newbies like myself. I don't know if you are still making this podcast anymore, but I wanted to thank you for the episodes that are out now. Joe. Well, Joe, we are still doing it. Well, let me read. I'm the new new person on the block. Larry's been doing it from the very beginning. And uh, we're glad that you like the podcast. Larry? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> a little surprising that you would uh, say that you're hoping that we would continue. <laughs> maybe you, uh, you stopped listening in between. Uh, or maybe you just haven't caught up. But uh, when you do catch up to episode 306, you'll hear your email read <laughs> well and, and thank you <laughs> yeah and, you know it's okay if you want to go to the end and listen backwards <laughs> yeah. yeah you can do that too because listen from 100 that's a lot of podcasts it's a lot of listening let's see votama still at 100 so i have to go back and look but i think so yeah yeah so you, you get to hear about tom and everything and just remember don't take the bolts out while the jet's flying Yes, exactly right. <laughs> Wise advice from Nightwise. Yes, Nightwise. <laughs> you know, that guy. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's go on to our next email. This one is from Greg. And Greg replies to a question that we uh, asked in 304, that you asked in episode 304, Bill. Greg says... Hi, Larry and Bill. To answer Bill's question in episode 304 about my choice of laptop to go Linux with, you are partially right, Larry, as price was a consideration. However, I was also influenced by the positive acclamations from a couple of Asus laptop owners that I queried when I saw what they were using. I mentally targeted Asus in the first place because I have personally had good reliable service from several Asus desktop motherboards in the past. In the end, I ended up buying an Asus model X55A with an Intel Pentium B980 2.4 GHz processor, 4 GB of RAM, 500 GB hard drive, and DVD drive. Yes, it's a modest machine, but it suits my needs admirably and didn't cost me an arm and a leg. With the integral DVD drive, there doesn't seem to be an extra drive bay for a second hard drive, although I did not totally disassemble the laptop to look for it. My only disappointment is that although the sound card earphone output is stereo, the mic input is mono. This makes it unusable for DSP digital signal processing software that needs stereo inputs for the 90 degree phase shifted quadrature audio signals to function huh okay uh oh well an external usb sound card with stereo inputs and outputs as well as high sampling rates for psk 31 while i'm at it maybe in the future 73 greg W-A-8-F-J-K. Well, that could be why he needs the digital signal processing. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey. You know, I actually understood part of that, but but I didn't understand the rest of it. He's getting into some serious audio uh, uh, techno geek uh, speak there. So, yeah, Greg, good luck. And thanks for uh, commenting on our question. 
Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. And uh, let me know how that works out. Um, I'm kind of anxious to see if it you can get it to work with your 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 ham rig and everything. Yeah. All right. We have another email from John, and he has a question about VNC to Ubuntu Mate box with VPN. Aloha to Going Link from the Big Island of Hawaii. I have to say aloha because how many times we get someone from Hawaii? Aloha. Okay. Okay. Aloha. (laughs) Okay. I enjoy listening to your podcast on my 45-minute commute to and from work along the beautiful west coast of the Big Island. Since diving headfirst into the world of Linux a couple months ago, I now have Linux dual booting as my main OS on three computers. And with the help of your show and several different flavors of Ubuntu, I've resurrected a dead Vista laptop, a dead XP netbook, and a PC that forced Windows 10 upgrade wiped out. At the moment, I'm working on repurposing the desktop PC as a way for my fiancé to learn Ubuntu Mate 16.04 without having to dual boot her Windows 10 machine back and forth from Windows to Linux. I would like this new Ubuntu Mate machine to be accessible from both her Windows 10 PC and my dual boot Windows 10 Mint Cinnamon PC through some sort of remote desktop, VNC, or some other means. What software would you recommend I use to accomplish this task? To make things a little more complicated, all of our computers run through a VPN for basic privacy. It would also be really handy to be able to access this machine remotely from outside of our home network. I basically want to do what LogMeIn does for Windows machines. I don't mind paying a small monthly fee if necessary. All the desktop PCs are hardwired through a TP-Link C9 Archer router. Her computer and my computer are in different rooms with the new Mate machine being located across the the room from my PC and temporarily using the television as a monitor. We have blazingly fast 300 megabit cable internet here in rural Hawaii, so I expect we we could expect decent remote performance. And lastly, my knowledge of Linux is still pretty weak, but I'm learning quickly. I grew up in the age with an Apple IIe and a 300 baud acoustic coupler, so I'm not afraid of the terminal or simple scripting programming. And I cannot say this. Mahalo Nui Loa. Who's <laughs> saying thanks? Okay. Island of Tiki. Tiki. Island of Tiki. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, some suggestions, John. Uh, first of all, uh, since you're using a VPN, one of the things that makes this difficult is that your computers are not guaranteed to be on the same network. Now, if it weren't for the VPN, they would all be on the same network. Uh, I'm making an assumption here, but that's a pretty safe assumption. You're using a TP-Link router, and without the VPN, everything's on the same network, and then you can use simple software without anything further, like VNC, um, Yeah, like VNC to make the connections. Now, given that you're using a VPN, there's no guarantee that all of the computers will actually be accessing using the same IP address because you really access the internet through through the VPN software. 
And each, each instance of VPN could take you to a whole different IP address. So, uh, I mean, that's the purpose of VPN software, right? So you've got a, a private tunnel uh, that helps your security. Now, to make that work without paying for software like LogMeIn or TeamViewer or those kinds of software, without paying for those, you really have to reduce your security and use something in your router called port forwarding. It may be called something different in the TP-Link router, but essentially what you're doing is you're saying, I want this port, whatever port the software you're using is using, to uh, go from however it comes in out of the internet. And I want to send it to this computer, this IP address. And in most routers, you can only do that for a single PC, for a single port. I know you said you are new to Linux, but most of what I just described applies beyond Linux to any sort of computer connection. Uh, maybe even your old Apple IIe with a 300 baud modem. But uh, bottom line here is it gets a little complicated. It gets a little less secure because you're using VPN and you want to do remote control unless you use some proprietary software like LogMeIn or like TeamViewer. So my recommendation would be to spend the money, get a good subscription for one of those services and use that. That will bypass firewalls, that will bypass the VPN and will give you a direct link from one computer to control another from the internet. If you're only doing this from inside of your network, it becomes a lot simpler, but I'm not going to go into that at this point because the key thing you said is you want to be able to access it from outside the network. And once you've got that established, it'll work inside your network as well with that software. So that's it, Bill. <laughs> okay, well. I uh, followed about half of that, so. <laughs> yeah, and, and hopefully, you know, our, our friend John will, will understand most of that or at least take the suggestion that he should probably go get TeamViewer or should probably go get uh, LogMeIn or some sort of software like that and use that, and that will solve most of his problems. Yeah, do Bill's method. The easiest way <laughs> is the yep. way. Yeah, but uh, wow. Okay, I can understand uh, the VPN inside the network, but you're right where he goes and wants to access it, to be able to access it from the outside, that makes it a little more difficult. Yeah, it does. And that's, especially since he's using VPN software, that makes it even more complex because that's one more variable in the thing. And it's really a private tunnel between one uh, computer and the internet. And you've got to make a hole in your firewall. You're going to make a hole in that tunnel. And ugh, it just gets complex. Yeah. Okay, so our next email is from Marlo. Marlo has a comment on NetBeans on Ubuntu 16.04. First, Marlo says, Hi, guys. First of all, thank you for a great podcast. I have learned so much from you. I have completely moved away from Windows and couldn't be happier. My question can I install NetBeans on Ubuntu 16.04? Someday I will make a killer app. Again, thank you so much for all you share with the community. I really appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Uh, have you used NetBeans or any software like that, Bill? 
I play games. I don't make games. <laughs> <laughs> no, so the answer yeah. is no. Uh, I don't can't. I, that's a good question. I don't even know that. Can you install NetBeans? Uh, let me take a quick look here. Um, since I happen to be on Ubuntu 16.04, I will go to the Synaptic Package Manager, put in my password, search for NetBeans. Just send me your password. I'll take care of it. Sure, no problem. And the answer is yes, you can install it. Woohoo. I've never used it, but it's it's an IDE, an integrated development environment for software developers. And as you observed, a lot of software people use this to develop games and other things. So, yeah, it's there. It's right in the repositories. Go ahead and install it. You can do a sudo apt NetBeans, and it'll install. Now, Marlo, if you make a killer app and it makes lots of money, you just got to remember us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Our next email comes from Brock, who talks about the dangers of the RM command. And just a little background, RM is remove. Yeah, and <laughs> basically it doesn't have a lot of the safety protocols in place that uh, the DEL command in, uh, in in Windows and DOS did. You know, it's it's going to let you wipe your entire computer, including the operating system, if you do it wrong. Which I've done. okay he writes i am loving the podcast thanks so much i recently had a big mishap with a script with the rm command Mm -hmm. i have a handbrake batch conversion script that can recursively convert every video file type i specify into mp4 format this helps save space because the mp4 version is smaller the other day I was doing some file housekeeping, for example, running a great program called fdupes to help eliminate duplicate files. I also decided it would be good to convert every video in my Dropbox directory to MP4 to save space. I have paid Dropbox so it has lots of files. The videos are spread out in many different directories instead of manually deleting the original non-MP4 video later, I decided to just convert each video to MP4 and then automatically delete the original. I was a little sleepy and wasn't thinking through it fully, and that was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I ran the script, and alas, Handbrake had not been installed yet given I had recently set up my OS, so the conversion command failed, but it went on to delete every non-MP4 video in all these directories. Fortunately, since all of these were in Dropbox, I was able to restore them all on the Dropbox website. (laughs) Wow. In hindsight, I should have run a check in my script to make sure the actual program was installed or to ensure uh-huh. that handbrake command executed with a success status. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Perhaps this story can be a benefit for the listener. It is indeed an epic failure with RM. Another reason why we should always, always have a backup. Brock. Well, Brock, <laughs> I've done worse. 
(laughs) (laughs) And Larry has heard me go, I deleted my whole install. So, yeah, RM is very powerful. And uh, another thing, never do it when you're sleepy. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, when, when I do batch scripts to delete things, I try not to use RM at all. Uh, what I do is I move the file, so I use MV instead, to a temporary folder. Uh, and then I go in through the file manager and delete that folder. Uh, because then I can see what I'm deleting and it's not happening automatically, but I collect everything that needs to be deleted in one place. So it's just a right click and a delete and they're gone. Um, so it's, it, it accomplishes the automation without the risk of deleting something incorrectly or having something fail within the script. And then it automatically goes on to the next step in the script, which is the delete the stuff that you never processed in the first place. So that's, that's one way to handle it. I know there are a lot of others like good programming steps, like checking to make sure that things have successfully completed before moving to the next step in the script. So Brock, I think you've learned your lesson. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully others can learn from this lesson as well. So thanks for yeah. the email. Sorry well, yeah. for the deletion. <laughs> well, he was able to get everything back. Yes. So yes, he, re- he, did. he really didn't have a lot of pain. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'm being mean. Brock, uh, yeah, we've all had something similar. I, mean, I think even Larry's accidentally deleted a file or two. Oh, you think so? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> no, of course not. Let's just move on to Augustine's email. So Augustine has an app suggestion. Hi, Larry and Bill. I'd like to make an app suggestion to you and the listeners of the Going Linux podcast. The podcast app Castback is one whose development grew out of Mark from the Geek Rant, formerly Everyday Linux Podcast's desire for a podcast app that met his needs. And listener Quasar Ajaz, sorry guys if I massacred your name, uh, ran with the idea. I've followed the app's development from early alpha to its current beta stage, and it's quickly becoming my go-to podcast app. A killer feature of the app is its comments feature. Users can sign in to their Google Plus account and are able to leave time-stamped comments on episodes of podcasts whose RSS feeds support them. While the app still has some bugs here and there, I highly recommend trying it out. If you're interested in adding comment support to the Going Linux RSS feed, all of the PodNuts show's feeds are comment-enabled, and I'm sure Quasar would be happy to point you in the right direction as he has been extremely receptive to feature requests and bug reports. I would be happy to give you his email with his permission. Well, thanks, Augustine. That's a a great recommendation. Haven't tried cast back. Maybe that's something we should try. And uh, I don't know about comments. We have uh, a pretty active Google Plus community as it is. And as far as comments in the feed itself, I'm not sure that's something we'd want to do. Our feed is pretty big as it is. Uh, I had to cut some of the old episodes from the feed and start it back at episode 100 just to make the RSS feed 
size compatible with the recommendations from iTunes. Uh, sorry to have to swear on the show, but yeah, it's uh, that's where most people listen. Anyway. <laughs> I, I just want to point out, you're not allowed to murder names. That's my job. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm the only one that's allowed to, to murder a name, but I didn't know you had to go back and uh, to 100. Why, yeah. why, why was that? Well, something about podcast feed specifications say that you shouldn't have any more than 300 episodes in your feed. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, we're at, what, 306? Yeah. So once we crossed over the 300 mark, I took the first 100 off the feed. Now, you can still get them from the website, of course, and listen to them there. But if you subscribe to our feed today... And go all the way back to the beginning. The beginning of the feed starts at episode 100. So, Wow. 306 shows. <laughs> yes. There you oh, go. Wow. Who knew? Who, who knew that we could talk that much? Yeah, well, people with daily or weekly podcasts have even more than that. And I don't know whether they worry about this 300 episode limit. But, you know, since many of our listeners listen on iTunes, we really do have to conform to their specs. So that's why I hacked <laughs> the first 100 episodes or so off the RSS feed. Sorry about that, folks. By the way, uh, how old is the podcast now? Um, you started we in... started in 2007. Wow. Something like that. So almost 10 years old. Wow. Okay, moving on. We got an email from Richard who asks about Mint versus Ubuntu. He writes, Hi Larry, I heard you say on a recent podcast that you now have switched to Ubuntu Mate from Mint. I am a long-time Minute user, but always open to change. Can you detail why you decided that? Or, if you already did, point me to the episode. I know Canonical is now doing better on the privacy front, but what made you switch? Thanks. Hmm. Well, I wanted to change. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, he got tired of me uh, harassing him about mint. Yeah, no, I could put up with that for a long time. But um, <laughs> yeah, there were just some things about Mint that um, I know some folks have some political uh, disagreements with the creator of uh, Linux Mint. That wasn't really my impetus. I know that some people think that Mint is too derivative, but I mean, hey, Ubuntu is derivative from Debian, so I don't think that's a real argument either. Uh, Mint actually is my first choice for people using um, Windows and wanting to come over to Linux for the first time and are non-technical users of computers uh, because everything is just there uh, from the beginning. And as, if they're not the kind of people to tinker with stuff, Mint just takes care of everything. Uh, Ubuntu Mate is second choice. Um, and the reason it's not first choice is there are still some tweaks you have to make and you have to be a not a, a techno geek to use Ubuntu Mate. Far from it. It's definitely for the new user, but there are a few more things that you have to know about computing 
to use mate that uh, Ubuntu mate than you do for mint. So I switched um, mainly because I wanted to get back to the old GNOME 2 um, utilities and you know the the desktop environment. When I had Mint, I would always set it up with the panel at the top and the panel at the bottom, very much like GNOME 2 and Mate is today. Uh, I did not run Mint Mate because I thought that Mint Cinnamon was better looking. Uh, and Ubuntu Mate is somewhere in between the two, uh, between Mint Mate and Mint Cinnamon in terms of its polish. And it's just something that I think has the right philosophy. And I wanted to get back into uh, a more pure Ubuntu environment. So not really solid reasons, I don't think. It's just more personal preference more than anything else. Okay. Okay. Our next email is from Alec. He described audio issues we addressed in our last episode, Bill. He writes, I would give double stars rating, except that I can hear only half of the podcast. Maybe I'm deaf in one ear, but I can never hear Bill. Larry is plenty loud, but I have to crank the volume to hear Bill. When Larry speaks again, the speakers blow. This is an ongoing issue with all of your podcasts. Please look into it. Thanks. Well, Alec, yours is not the only complaint we've got about that. And quite frankly, as I said in our Google Plus community, I got a little lazy on proof listening to the podcast before sending it out. And I forgot that I think my headset speakers compensate for some of the mismatch in volume levels between speakers. And I wasn't listening on earbuds and I wasn't listening over the built-in laptop speaker to kind of proof listen to it before it went out. And if I had, I would have picked up on the on the discrepancy in the volume levels between the two. But uh, since then, Bill has gotten a new microphone. He's gotten a new studio. Things have picked up a lot in the quality of Bill's signal, so I don't have to process it as much, which accounts for the reduction in volume, at least in part. And um, as a result, uh, I think in our last episode, we did a good job of making Bill's level closer to or equal to mine. So, Bill, what do you think? You listened to the last episode. Did we accomplish it? I think we did. Of course, I've been known to be the problem child of this podcast. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it sounded better. Uh, I'm now looking at a, a, a different microphone. We were just talking about that before we started the uh, the recording. So... If I end up picking up a new mic, you might even see a little even more higher quality. But, uh, yeah, I thought the last podcast was a lot better. Yeah, I think so, too. And if we go on to Nancy's comment in the next email, maybe we'll hear more. Nancy identified issues, and she wrote, I have enjoyed your podcast from the very beginning. However... The audio issues that are coming through your podcast, the sound level differences between the two of you have gotten so great that I can no longer listen to the to your podcast when traveling. I just can't keep adjusting the volume, so I'm going to fast forward through the whole podcast episode. I'm hoping you get it resolved before the next one. Unfortunately, I I'm going to have to keep doing this until you get the volume issues resolved 
I just don't have the time to keep going up and down through the volume scale. I'm either in my car or on a treadmill, so I'm always having trouble with volume differences. Thanks for looking into it, and thanks for continuing a great podcast and website. Sorry, Nancy. <laughs> it's my fault. Yeah, well, uh, I think it's my fault for not adjusting the volume before uh, sending out the podcast episode. But uh, yeah, we're doing a lot of things to fix it, and uh, you should see a definite improvement here on out. Yeah, he only can work with <laughs> with my signal so much. So hopefully, we got it. We got it uh, more listenable. Yep. I think so. So let's get back on to printing issues. Uh-huh. Paul asks about wireless printing on Linux. Hi, Larry and Bill. I'm running Linux Mint 17.3 XFCE. Can you please suggest a wireless printer that would be user-friendly to this distribution? I've done a little research myself, but haven't found anything conclusive yet. I thought you might have a good wireless printer in mind that would be a good fit for Mint 17.3. I need a good printer that works for Linux because I don't want want to go back to windows for any reason i can possibly avoid thanks for your support and keep up the great work to the linux community paul in north texas well paul just about any hp wireless printer will do <laughs> that's the recommendation um i'm using an hp office jet 60 something let me just take a quick look here System administration printers, HP OfficeJet Pro 6835, which is one of those wireless printers that has printer scanner fax capabilities, and it works perfectly with the built-in driver that comes with Linux, no problems. You go on the HP website, you register it as an e-printer, and you can even email it a print job from your phone or tablet or whatever you want because it comes with an email address for the printer, and whatever you send it will get printed at your home, even if you're out taking a picture of something and you just want to print it out. It it works great. Yeah, and now I use an HP OfficeJet 3830. And it's okay. A, it's a new one, and but it has the same features of yep. uh, of yours. And I was able to email myself and a file and it did print, so I know it works. Mm-hmm. And thirty eight thirty should still be in the stores because I haven't had mine. I've had mine less than a month, so um, anything with HP, I, I think you're gonna have good luck with. Yep, absolutely. And just to clarify, you don't need to email print jobs to your computer that's just an example of an added feature yeah and also uh when they assign you an email address it's usually this really long hard to remember one you can change it to something you can remember <laughs> yes absolutely but but the wi-fi on it works perfectly it works with uh you know if you're a mixed family meaning you've got not only linux but you have os 10 or windows or whatever um it'll work with those as well on the wi-fi network uh, and as long as you're on the same wi-fi network you can print to it just as though it were a wired computer no problem okay our next email comes from paul and he also talked about verifying the mint 18 iso hi larry and bill after recently downloading Mint 18 ISO to 
to load on my laptop, I wanted to verify my checksum to make sure I had a correct complete copy. The verification procedure is no longer a simple matter of comparing checksums. The LinuxMint website has a rather complicated direction to verify a good ISO. I found a commentary on the procedure from the blog Linux North, and the link is here and it's in our show notes. I haven't tried it yet. It looks like there is quite a bit of command line work required, an extra challenge for any Linux user, especially for a Linux newbie. I wish there was an easier way. Thanks again for the shows and your support to the Linux community. Paul in North Texas. Yeah, Paul, this this whole checksum thing has gotten very, very complex, mainly because there are a bunch of bad guys out there that have done a lot of nasty things. Uh, and especially most recently to the Linux Mint website, they replaced one of their ISOs and the checksums on their website. They hacked in somehow and caused a big hullabaloo over the whole thing. And as a result, they have uh, taken it to the next level at Linux Mint and they've locked things down from a security perspective. Um, it was a, uh, it, it wasn't a Linux issue. It was a WordPress issue. And uh, in the meantime, they've changed from the older style of checksums to the new SHA-256 checksums, which require a little extra effort to verify them. So I don't think any of the issues around bad guys hacking websites and causing mayhem and, you know, trying to take over your computer with malware uh, is going away anytime soon. So I would love for it to be easier, but there's a trade-off between convenience and security. And I always fall on the side of security wherever possible. So, yeah, unfortunately you got to do it. Oh, well, you know, bad guys make things more complicated. Yep. Yeah, so all you have to do, Paul, is just uh, get rid of all the bad guys and you can go back to the simple way of doing it. And then I'm the only one who calls it mayhem. That's the way it should be. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Okay. Problem okay. solved. Yes. So Dries asks about network shares. Hey, I just wanted to ask a quick question. I've switched to Linux for the fourth time now in the past 12 years. The previous attempts all still gave me issues with NTFS, write access, sound, Wi-Fi, and flash video. You know what? Stop using NTFS file format. Anyway, but this time it looks like I'm going to stay. I even converted my laptop to Linux as well, which leads me to a question. Since I now don't have any Windows machine anymore, does it still make sense to use SMB for network shares? I could try to start using NFS, which I have never done before. But does it even matter for a simple home network? Well, that was all. Thanks for keeping up this helpful and interesting podcast for so long. Okay, Dries. Well, um, yeah, it sounds like if you've gone completely Linux, you're probably not using the NTFS, the Windows NTFS file formats anymore, which is step one. So that's good. So NFS is definitely a uh, Unix and Linux-oriented file sharing, network sharing protocol. Uh, from a practical perspective, I 
don't think it matters. NFS may give you some additional technical flexibility and capabilities, but if you're just using it for simple sharing, probably doesn't matter. What do you think, Bill? Have you done anything with file sharing with NFS versus SMB? Not really. All I do is play games. Yeah, well, and maybe that's what Dries <laughs> is doing as well. But now I, you know, let's turn it over to our listeners. I'm sure somebody who knows a lot more about sharing files over a network, especially in the Linux environment, may have some some real reasons why you might want to choose NFS over SMB for file sharing. Uh, but from a practical perspective, if you're just doing simple sharing, and you did say that you're doing simple home networking. I'm I'm not sure it would matter. If you want to take the dive into NFS and learn about it, have at it. But if SMB works for you and you just want to get your shares up and running quickly, since you know already know it, that's probably the wisest move. Yeah, probably. Um, I I really don't know because I I don't do a lot of sharing. Uh, I do a lot of reinstalling of distros, but that's about it. Uh, so yeah, I turn it over to our listeners. They they're smart. Yep. All right. Our next email comes from Jeff, who provides feedback on episode 305. He writes, Hi, guys. Great episode. However, you did overlook a great resource for gaming on Linux. Good old games. And he puts the link, but I've, it's www.gog.com. They have titles that run on Linux and are DRM free. I've been using them for a while and have been very pleased with them. Just thought I would let you know about this resource since many Linux users may not want to use Steam for a variety of reasons. Great show and keep up the great work. Jeff. Well, Jeff, funny you should mention that. I found good old games this week and I actually uh, mentioned this at the very beginning of the podcast. So, yeah, it is a great place. So, thanks. Yep, absolutely, and I'm gonna to have to give it a try. See if uh, see if there's some of my old favorites in there. You're not allowed to game. Oh, sorry. Well, maybe Pong or uh, <laughs> yes, you, know. you can play Pong. That's it. Oh, okay. Hey, break out the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, Larry. Come on. Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. Is that <laughs> on there? I don't know. Oh man. We'll we'll figure it out. Though. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Until then. You're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, our next episode, we haven't decided what it's going to be yet, but by the time we record it, we'll have it completely <laughs> figured out. <laughs> you could jump right into the until then now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing too much. Okay. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcast themes
www.thepowerhouse.com.